Welcome, everyone, to this Baseball America College podcast sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practices more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC win every practice. I'm John Manuel. He's Aaron Fitt. Let's dive right into it, Aaron. This is the, I think, our second most anticipated podcast of the year. We break down all 16 regionals. We break down the field of 64, make some picks, making it so. Are you ready to go from the West Coast? I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm all fueled up on Q-Shack, so let's, let's make it happen, Aaron. Let's start with the Gainesville Regional. Uh, number one seed, national number one seed, Florida, along with second seed, Georgia Tech, third seed, College of Charleston, and fourth seed, Bethune-Cookman. And first off, Aaron, let's start with the Gators. The Gators kind of are who we thought they were, but not really. I mean, this really this team has been, I'd say, I, I think it's fair to say they have the best resume. Best combination, I should say, of resume and talent. Yeah. But they're not as good. They're not the juggernaut we thought they were. There's not a lot of separation between Florida and everyone else. And when they were 20-1, and one, we thought there was quite a bit of separation. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, but, you know, I think you have to cut them a little bit of slack because um, of, of injuries. I mean, you know, obviously they had the pitching situation midway through the year. Uh, it took It's taken Carson Woodson all year long, really, to um, – to return to form, and I don't think he's even gotten there yet. You know, he's yeah, not. He hasn't. He, he's still. I mean, but you know what? They're they're good enough that they don't they don't need him to. Frankly, they don't even need him to win the national championship. I, mean, I agree. You put, you put Jonathan Crawford in there as your number three, and, and you're fine. You got your three guys. You got your ridiculous bullpen, and you're good to go. I mean, it's a it's a ridiculous luxury to have that. But um, you know, they I, I I still think this team is. You know, they've built this whole season around being ready for the postseason. Um, you know, the, they didn't care about the, the doldrums in the middle of the season. They didn't, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan was never worried about his team. I mean, he knew what he had. Um, and here they are, and, and they're entering the, the postseason as the favorite, you know, just like they were supposed to be. And, um, you know, I think there's uh, there's every reason to believe that this team, uh, you know, is poised to make another deep postseason run. It is really amazing when you think about it. There are reasons for this, as you said, going over their pitching injuries and working Whitson back in, missing four weeks of Hudson Randall. They lost um, Tyler Thompson for the year. You know, who's a, he's an important player for them. And, absolutely. Uh, they lost Tobias for part of the year. They, they, yeah. they had like three position players go down and a couple, two-thirds of their weekend rotation. Most teams are not deep enough to withstand that. I, I think you're right. I think it's important to point that out. That said, we knocked, I think justifiably so, Kentucky, when they didn't get a regional host, uh, and they got sent out the number two. They started off 22 and 0, 23 and 0. What was it? Something like that. And they finished 23 and 16. Well, you know, South. I mean, Florida. Well, they won that series at South Carolina, and they won the next game out of that against Florida State in Jacksonville. So they headed into Ole Miss on March 30th. They were 23 and 2. They're mm. 19 and 16 since then, Aaron. Yeah. That that's stunning to me that they're 19 and 16. Even with those injuries, I don't think I'd ever put those two things together. I still think Florida is the national favorite, but it is, I think, amazing how we thought they were going to be a super team, and they're just not. And, it's, and, it's, and there's reasons for it. It's mostly injuries. They're starting pitching especially, and Whitson you know, is a real difference maker for them or should have been in the rotation. 
because uh, they do they do have separation from other teams in terms of their power with Zanino and Tucker leading the country in home runs as a team. Right, exactly. And this is going to be, uh, I think, a, a power hitters regional because their ballpark plays that way. And you've got Georgia Tech coming in here that has some power. Um, you know, certainly uh, they hit for a lot of power in Greensboro. They took advantage of that park's uh, hitter friendly conditions, and you know they can they can hurt you there with with uh, with Davies and. Um, you know, Brandon Thomas can run into one, and Daniel Palka, of course. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a typical Georgia Tech power hitting team. And then you've got uh, College of Charleston has a lot of home runs. Uh, they've got, I think, three guys with double digit home runs, with Marty Gant kind of being the, the guy that really stirs their drink. And uh, but you know, to me, this Charleston team isn't just your your typical Charleston team where you think of a, a home run hitting, you know, team that's going to have to beat you um, with with a lot of runs. This team has pretty good pitching too, John. I mean, I think they uh, uh, probably the best pitching staff in the SoCon statistically. I mean, um, it's it's a uh, they got some power arms on this staff. I think Christian Powell gives them a real chance to win that opener against Georgia Tech. It'll be a good duel between him and, and Buck Farmer. Um, so you know, all all three of those teams have power. Bethune Cookman doesn't really. I mean, they're the one team that doesn't fit um, with those other teams offensively. But uh, you know, Bethune Cookman does have a, a quality number one starter. Ryan Gonzalez, who I think has a chance to at least, you know, make them competitive against Florida. You know, the thing with Florida, I think that they have to ask going into this weekend, and Georgia Tech to a lesser extent, I like what you wrote in your regional preview about Georgia Tech. They're going on the road. The pressure's off. They're the underdog. This should be the loosest Georgia Tech team that we've seen in a long time in postseason. Um, they, to me, you got to throw a left-hander at Georgia Tech. I think they did beat Ken Emanuel during the year. Um, in the ACC. I'm trying to think of other top lefties in the ACC. But between the fact that Thomas is better from the left side than the right, Kyle Wren, Palka, uh, Davies, Zane Evans and, and Brandon Thomas, a switch hitter, are, and, and Sam Dove, those are their three top right-handed bats. To me, their left-handed bats are a lot more fearsome. So if I'm Georgia, if I'm Florida, I have to imagine Kevin O'Sullivan knows this. I have to imagine he also trusts Brian Johnson. Right. Would you throw, would you, do you anticipate Johnson being used in that game, and maybe they'll just would start Hudson Randall on Friday, or do you think maybe they'll go Crawford, Johnson, and then have Randall for the championship on Sunday? How do you think Florida plays that, and how do you think Georgia Tech lines up its pitching? I think that's first of all a really good analysis. I think you're right. I think uh, if you can throw a lefty at if you can throw a lefty at Georgia Tech, that probably improves your chances. And even you look back at the the Miami series, the interesting thing though is that uh, Georgia Tech uh, w- um, lost the two games that Miami's lefty started. Um, uh, Erickson and, and Ewing, but neither of those lefties really pitched deep into the game, so that wasn't really the the biggest factor. Um, you know, so I, I don't know what that what, what that means, but those, just those guys that also, out there. those guys really aren't breaking ball guys. Those are those are fastball changeup lefties who I would almost think are better against right-handed hitters. That's a fair point too. Yeah, but, so you, uh, you got to have a lefty with a breaking ball, and Brian Johnson does have a breaking ball. I'm wondering, to me, Georgia Tech's only chance of winning this regional is if they can beat. Kyle Charleston with someone other than Buck Farmer because they need Buck Farmer to go deep in a game and, in Ray Tanner's words, battle for nine innings to beat Florida. I don't know that if I'm Georgia Tech, I don't know that I feel comfortable saving Buck Farmer. I just I just think you got a problem. I mean, you, that first game is, you know, it's, it's, if you don't win the first game, you're you're in trouble. And in same same with the second game, I understand that. I mean, you're in the same position if you lose the second game, but um, you know, you just can't look past College of Charleston. I think they're, I think they're too dangerous uh, to not throw your ace against those guys. 
I think to me the 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 wild card for Georgia Tech is Jake Davies and Zane Evans. It's basically two of their X Factor arms are, are two way guys. So when do you deploy your two way guys so that you get the maximum value out of them as starting pitchers right. and not wear them out and still get something out of them as position players? For me, that way would really be to use them on Friday. That that would be my plan. But uh, Danny Hall knows his players way better than I do. But to me, that's the way they win, is that they get Davies and Evans and win that first game. And you have Buck Farmer. Hopefully, for your sake, you still have Alex Cruz and Johnny Holstaff on Saturday. And then and you go to your, your deep freshman pitchers, your Cole Pitts, your Josh Hedingers, those kind of guys on Sunday. Because um, in my mind, you really only get to use those two-way guys once on yeah. the weekend on the mound, realistically. And, you know, that's the whole problem for Georgia Tech. They, they've had pitcher injuries, and really they're, maybe their third and fourth best pitchers are two-way guys in, 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 uh, in Davies. I, I think Georgia Tech's dangerous in this regional. I think if they'd been sent elsewhere, I could have seen Georgia Tech continuing their hot streak of winning the ACC tournament. But I don't see it happening here. I see Florida winning this regional. How about you? I feel the same way. You know, I'm, I'm sticking with the Gators, but uh, I think being able to throw Crawford in the first game, which I think they will, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then having Johnson or Randall, I think depending on, on the matchup in the second game, uh, I, I agree with you. I would throw Johnson against Georgia Tech if that's who they play in the second game, and then you know you you close it out theoretically with Randall in the third game. You're, you're looking at it just sets up really well for them. They're, they have so much pitching. And, and again, I just think their bullpen is such a separator. We've talked about it all year long, but the three guys especially, Larson um, and uh, Maddox and Rodriguez, it just gives them such a huge advantage over everybody else, it seems like. I agree. On to regional number two, that's the Raleigh regional. NC State, the one seed. Vanderbilt, the two seed. UNC Wilmington, the three seed. Sacred Heart, the four seed. Aaron, one interesting thing here is that you know UNCW plays up here a lot. Uh, the Seahawks, Mark Scaff went to Cary High. They recruit Cary in the area very, very effectively. I would say that Wilmington's recruiting base is really Wake County here in North Carolina, even though that's where NC State is. So this is going to be a homecoming for UNC Wilmington. And just a month ago, or in the last month, we had Mike Fox complaining a little bit about the, how loud the UNC Wilmington fans were at his park, really criticizing his fans more than he certainly wasn't criticizing Wilmington's fans. Wilmington... Uh, they're interesting as a three C because I think they are going to have a lot of fan support and a lot of players who probably grew up going to games at mm. Dale Park, uh, you know, Doak Field at Dale Park. Uh, but to me, I think that Wilmington is fairly dangerous here because they're balanced, but it just feels like NC State and Vanderbilt are a little bit too talented. To yeah. me, it's really a two-team regional. I agree with you, and, and I'm intrigued by Wilmington. I am because I think they're they're a nice balanced club. I think they've got some power. I really like their speed, which I think uh, you know is a little bit of an X factor in this regional. I mean, like NC State, you know, with NC State speed is mostly just Trey Turner, but um, you know those those two teams can beat you with the the running game. Um, and Wilmington likes its bullpen a lot. They can mix and match. They've got different slots. They've got all kinds of options back there, and, and kind of solid starters, but they don't have any of the power arms that Vanderbilt has in the uh, in the rotation or, or state has. Um, you know, you have to imagine that the, the kind of momentum that Vanderbilt's bringing into this thing, um, you know, the key for Vanderbilt is the pitching. You know, if they keep pitching the way they have down the stretch, they're really, really, you know, capable of being a deep postseason run here. But um, the reason that I think I like NC State in this regional is because, you know, obviously they're, they're 
they're not going to have to use Radon in the first game. They're going to save him for the second game, and I think they can beat Sacred Heart um, with a number of different guys because I, I think Sacred Heart is one of the softer four seeds. I mean, there are only only two four seeds with losing records, and one of them is Sacred Heart, so that's a, a favorable draw for NC State. Uh, and so I think if you've got Radon going against Vanderbilt in the second game, theoretically, or Wilmington, whoever wins that one, um, then uh, then you're in the catbird seat. Aaron, I, I don't think you could have said it better. Um, it's a mutual admiration society here on the Baseball America podcast. Uh, one of my favorite inside jokes at Baseball America. <laughs> but uh, but NC State really caught a break with Sacred Heart. I think you pointed that out well in your regional capsule because the, the one issue for the Wolfpack is who do you start as your third starter? You know, third starter, fourth starter all year has kind of been uh, you know a revolving door for them. And to me, this is a regional where they probably only need two starters. Uh, they can probably save Ethan Ogburn for Sunday. And, and, you know, their track record has been with Elliot Avon and Tom Holiday together. A couple of years ago, they didn't even use Corey Mazzoni in a regional. They saved him mm-hmm. for the third game. He was their ace at the time. They'll, they will play the matchups. And I have a feeling you're going to see either a Logan Jernigan or a Vance Williams or one of their kind of, you know, starter slash reliever guys against Sacred Heart. And if they can jump out early in that game offensively on Sacred Heart, you might see NC State really try to preserve its pitching because they really, in my mind, they only have two pitchers they trust. There's Rodon, who was a man among boys, even as a freshman. And then they have Ethan Ogburn, who they've used in relief in the past and who started and has been quite consistent this year. Had a little hiccup midseason but generally, he, he he gives you seven innings and gives up three runs, and he's pretty consistent. He's a really solid – I think ideally Ethan Ogburn would be, would be your number three starter on a championship Omaha team. I think he's a solid number two for the kind of yeah. team State is. And, and to me, I, I you know, that, that fact makes me pick them in this regional because otherwise I would pick Vanderbilt. Uh, they're hot. I think they're equally talented NC State. I think they're equally athletic. They may not have quite as much speed, uh, but they, we, they showed against Austin Maddox in the SEC tournament when they need to steal a base, they can steal a base, or they can steal six bases, as they did. Um, so you know, I, I really like this I, I like this uh, Vanderbilt team. I, I think you have to give uh, tons of props to uh, Atex's own Tim Corbin uh, for the <laughs> job that he and his coaching staff did. Um, Aaron, what are the chances that, uh, that he keeps that coaching staff intact? There are a lot of coaching openings. Yeah, Josh, Josh Holiday and and, uh, and Derek Johnson are two of the more attractive assistant coaches in the country. I mean, there are very few assistant coaches I think that you and I think who evaluate talent better and who uh, have a track record like Josh Holiday. Got a big league brother, played in the Caldwell Series as a player, switch hitting catcher slash third baseman as a player. So he's he's seen the game from a number of different levels. Grew up in the game with a coaching dad and has been at NC State, Georgia Tech, Arizona State, Vanderbilt. He's been all over the country already at a young age. He's ready to go out. I mean, it's time to it's time to throw him out of the nest and let him fly on his own. And Derek Johnson's a pretty doggone good pitching coach. This might be the last hurrah for this group of Vanderbilt coaches as a, as a group. Yeah. yeah, and interesting that it'll come in Raleigh where, you know, where Josh's yeah. father is, is the, an assistant coach. But um, it's uh, – it's, I agree with you. This is – interesting Vanderbilt team, you know, and, and like I said, I think the key is, is how their arms perform because, um, you know, they do have more 
power arms than NC State does. If you're comparing those two teams, um, you know, Selman and, and Verhagen and Beatty and, you know, Picararo, I mean, all these guys, uh, um, you've got four or five quality starting options if you need. I think Vanderbilt is one team that can afford, if they, if they happen to fall into the loser's bracket, they can maybe still make a deep run through this thing. I think if NC State falls in the loser's bracket, I think they could be in trouble. Completely um, agree. Completely but, agree. But, uh, you know, when I look at these two teams in their, their lineups, um, I think that uh, I still think State just feels a little bit more dynamic offensively, and I think a big part of that is Turner. I mean, he's just such a difference maker. But Ryan Matthews has emerged as such a force in the middle of that lineup. I mean, it gives them some, some real – that power dimension. And, um, you know, Hashtag I think just, personal cheese bowl. That's right. John Manuel favorite, Ryan Matthews. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I was just so struck watching State this week how – how exciting they are. I mean, I think Chris Diaz is a really good player, shortstop, doesn't yeah. get a, maybe a lot of attention nationally, but boy, he's a, he's a, makes all plays at short, and he's a good offensive player, leads our team in hitting. He's just a, he's just a, a really nice player. And, and um, you know, Danny Canella, I've always liked Danny Canella since he, since he was a freshman, just his, his pure hitting ability, and he's yep. got some pop. Yep. Uh, Jake Fincher is so exciting in center field. He's got a great arm that he showed off several times in Greensboro, and I just think it's uh, they've got a lot of difference makers on this team. That's what really strikes me about them. They're really athletic, Aaron. Their athleticism separates them, uh, as a couple coaches told us uh, in Greensboro. And uh, to me, for NC State, you know, this is a program that has not gotten to the Caldwell Series since 1968. Ray Tanner couldn't do it. Uh, if you're Elliot Avent and you want to put the Ray Tanner, I don't know if it's a ghost, but that the fact that Ray Tanner comes to Raleigh for hot stove banquets and gets a bigger ovation than Elliot Avent ever gets, hmm. um, if they, you know, NC State is opening a Hall of Fame wing uh, this fall, and there's all this discussion about who's going to go in that Athletics Hall of Fame, I bet you Ray Tanner is going to get in there, and I bet you that Elliot Avent will not. But if Elliot Avent wants to get in there, and I, I think he probably would like to. He's been at NC State longer than Ray Tanner was as a head coach. He's got more wins than Ray Tanner had. He's really done a nice job. I think that's pretty been a pretty steady program. Get to Omaha. Ray Tanner never got to Omaha as a member as a head coach of the Wolfpack. You take the Wolfpack to Omaha, I think Elliott Avent gets in the Hall of Fame at their opening and I, I tell you, I think this is a team that can do it. They have to stay in the winner's bracket. But I, I kinda want the country to see the athleticism and dynamism of this NC State freshman class because they are fun to watch. Uh, yes, they're they they're really fun, and they have speed, and they defend, and I think you hit the nail on the head with Chris Diaz. They just really, Aaron, to go to Omaha, they need one of their seniors or juniors, whether it's Andrew Senson, Terrence Anae, one of those veteran hitters to get hot. Um, I'm not sure it's in there for them. It, you know, Andrew Senson's been – just off a little bit all year. Terrence Sinead's hitting like 213, uh, even though he has five home runs. You know, Sensen has as few home runs as Turner. They both have four home runs. They need one of those veteran guys to get hot. If they do, I do think NC State is a is an Omaha-caliber team, and uh, they are very fun to watch, if only because Rodon and Turner are so good. Uh, Baseball America so, podcast with John and Aaron. Uh, who, who are you picking there, Aaron? Uh, I'm taking the Wolfpack, and, and I guess since we're on this – side of the bracket. Should we just go ahead and make a potential super regional matchup there, too? I'll take the Gators all the way to Omaha. I will as well, and I'm also picking the Wolfpack. Very tempted by the Commodores. Uh, you know, it's kind of to me, it's like a 60-40 bracket. I guess I'd yeah. take 60-35-5. I would give the Seahawks a little 5% chance there because of their balance. But uh, yes, yeah. I'm with you. So we both have Florida and NC State uh, moving on to regionals, and then the Gators winning a 
uh, Super Regional and, and advancing to Omaha for the third time in three years, which if you're NC State's freshman class, as good as they are, I've said this before on local radio here, you want to point to a class that you want to be, look at Florida's freshman class, the junior right. class now. Aaron, they were the number one class in the country by acclamation. It was unanimous. Everyone, when you did your surveys that year, was so wowed by their freshman class. And those guys are trying to complete an amazing run of three straight trips to the Caldwell Series, and then they need to cap it off with a national championship. But if they do that, that's one of the epic classes yes. in college baseball history, isn't it? I absolutely agree. I mean, they were, you know, they were in the in the finals last year. They were in Omaha the year before, and if they can win it all this year, I agree with you. I think it'll go down as one of the greats because they're going to have a lot of high draft picks too. No doubt, no doubt about it. Let's move on to regional number three on the left side of the bracket. Number one seed Virginia, it's the Charlottesville Regional. Number one seed Virginia, number two seed Oklahoma, number three seed Appalachian State, number four the Black Knights of the Hudson Army. Aaron, this is a little bit of an odd regional. You're going to let's just compare four seeds. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Sacred Heart, 25 and 30, Virginia, which its overall season compared to NC State's is not that different. They played yeah. a three-game series in Raleigh. Hotly contested, NC State won it two games to one. You know, I guess the other differences are that uh, Virginia maybe finished a little bit stronger. Uh, they got swept by Florida State. NC State went one and two at Florida State. Uh, Virginia went two and one in the ACC tournament. State went one and two. Those two teams aren't that different, but uh, Vanderbilt and Oklahoma very comparable twos. UNC Wilmington and App State comparable threes, but Sacred Heart and Army are not comparable fours. That's a tough and- bracket, I think, for Virginia. And yet it's a little strange that NC State, who I, I agree with you, uh, I, I think had a better season than Virginia, gets paired with the number one national seed, yeah. whereas Virginia gets paired with the number eight, eight national seed. seed. I mean, that, that, that to me was a head-scratcher. I really didn't understand that. That's a great um, point. That's a great didn't point. mention that the other day in, in our first podcast. But especially, anyway. Especially because you have you know, if you, NCAA tournament committees that usually like storylines. Why would you not match up Ray Tanner and Elliot Avent, the last two right. coaches at NC State who've – you know, coaches there for the last 25, 27 years, basically. Why don't you match them up? That that really did not make any sense. Maybe it was just a matter of trying to get some uh, some new matchups. I mean, I, I know that those two teams have been matched up before, including in, in the Super Regional in was the Super Regional. No, it was a regional back in I think it was a regional. North Carolina, North Carolina and NC North Carolina and South Carolina had several Super Regionals in a row. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't think NC State and, and, and South Carolina have played in a in a super, super yet. So I, I agree with you. I thought that State got the break in the first round, but not in the second round. Right. Um, and and I, I think you're right. I think this is a this is a dangerous matchup for Virginia. I mean, Army's got, um, you know, a couple of really quality, um, you know, pitchability guys that uh, that know what they're doing here. I mean, this is, uh, you know, they had this is a team that had, uh, <laughs> um, they almost threw back-to-back no-hitters, if I recall. It was very close yeah, to that. Yeah, it was very um, close. You know, these, these guys are... Uh, um, you know they're good. I mean they're they're not they don't blow you away. They don't have big arms on this staff. But I mean with with Chris Rowley and and I think that's who they will throw in the first game. And then Logan Lee, um, you know, it gives them a nice one-two punch there in the rotation. Um, I like uh, you know Army's dangerous. I mean their 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 lineup is uh, again it's not going to blow you away. But I think they're pretty well built to to play in that ballpark. It's a, it's team is going to use the gaps and kind of manufacture offense and you know kind of like Virginia does. I mean I think. Uh, I think Virginia, to me, is one of the most vulnerable two, uh, number one seeds. I, I just, uh, you know, I think they they overachieved a little bit this year. I mean, I like their team, but I don't I don't love their team. I'm with um, you. 
and uh, you know, I, I think Oklahoma comes in here as a much more physical team um, and a team that has a lot bigger arms, first of all. I mean, that really jumps out to you is, is the, the caliber of arms here. Um, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, Jonathan Grays and the Stephen Okerts and, you know, even Dylan Overton. And, you know, it's just – I think it's just a better pitching staff, um, even though the, the – I like Virginia's bullpen. Um, I probably trust Virginia's bullpen a little bit more than I trust Oklahoma's. But uh, but Okert has stabilized things for Oklahoma in the bullpen. And, and, and you know, these two teams, of course – matched up in, in Super Regionals two years ago, and the difference is Oklahoma has most of the key guys back from that team, and, and Virginia doesn't. You know, it's a, it's a whole new new group of players here. So Oklahoma has gone to Charlottesville before. All these guys, you know, they're not, they're not afraid of, of UVA, that's for sure. They, they, um, know where the, they know where the subways are. They know where the, right. uh, they, they know if they knew where the McDonald's are. They're comfortable in Charlottesville more so than they might be in other settings. They've been, they've yeah. been here, and they've done that. And and you know Max White was there, and you know of course Cody Wren had the, was a big hero in that super regional, and um, you know Caleb Bushyhead, and you know all these guys, uh, Eric Ross, I mean Jack Mayfield, all these guys were were on that team. Um, so I I like I think I think Oklahoma's playing really well down the stretch. I think they have a lot of momentum, um, and and I think they're the team that I like to win this regional. They're the favorite for me as well. Any chance that app? State has a chance to throw a wrench in this. I mean, we've sure. seen App State uh, with the pitching they have. I can never remember their coach's name. Please tell me his name again. <laughs> Pollard. Coach, Pollard. Coach Pollard. I, I always want to call him Pritchett, but I know his name is Pollard now. But I mean, when I talked to him at the beginning of the year, you know, they said going to LSU and winning that series, you know, they had to capitalize on it, and and they did. You know, to get in that large bid. At yeah. Appalachian State, it's pretty loud. Um, yep. We know this team can pitch. We know they've got uh, Kusef, Daniel Kusef, who can who, who provides some pop, um, even in that ballpark. They feel like a dangerous three-seat. To me, this feels like a pretty wide-open regional. I picked Oklahoma, but I think if you're Virginia uh, and you want to win this regional, you need that Friday game for Oklahoma to be white-knuckle and for them to use that bullpen. Um, I, I'm with you. I think Oklahoma's power arms is the separating factor. Uh, I also do wonder how Oklahoma defends the bunt. I don't know if yeah. you know that or not, because Virginia's going to bunt like crazy. They have 80 sacrifice yep. bunts. They're almost like a Big West team in how they use the bunt, how often they bunt. Um, so Oklahoma better work. Oklahoma better work on its bunt defense because they're going to see it out yeah. of more than just Keith Werman. Unfortunately for Oklahoma, they've got a really good defensive third baseman, Garrett Carey, and that's you know this guy's in the lineup every day and he's in 214. It's because he can really pick it at third base. There you go. That's an important uh, important reason. It, to me, the other thing that, uh, that that's a separator, uh, you know, is that outside of Stephen Bruno, there's just not anybody else I really fear in that Virginia lineup. And Derek Fisher uh, certainly can lose one, Aaron, but he struck out more than 50 times. And kind of my my cheese ball on that Virginia team. I kind of thought he'd have a little bit bigger year than he's had. Is Brandon Cogswell? First of all, because his name reminds me of the Jetsons, Cogswell Cox. <laughs> but second of all, he's you know he's an athletic. Uh, lean-bodied middle infielder, I, I, left-handed bat. I kind of like that guy. He showed me a pretty good swing when they came to Raleigh. He still gets some A-Bs here and there. He's got like 95 at-bats for the year. But I thought he'd be a little bit bigger part of things for them down the stretch. But it feels like uh, they've backed up a little bit offensively. You know, Chris Turner and Jared King were their top offensive guys the first half of the year. And those two guys have kind of been in tailspins as the year's gone on. Yeah, you're right. And, and uh, I think I just think they're vulnerable. And the thing I worry about with Virginia is – how the, 
you know, who are they going to throw in the first game? I mean, if you yeah. throw in the regional, you can't throw Brandon Klein in the first game. Um, and, you know, does that mean you throw Artie Lewicki in that first game? I guess you probably do. That means you're going to have potentially Scott Silverstein starting a, you know, a, a bracket uh, third game. Yeah. And, and I, I sure don't, I mean, I sure don't trust him right now. I mean, the guy hasn't gone more than three innings, it seems like, in, in weeks. And it's, uh, it's, it's, his numbers are really bad down the stretch here. There's a reason for that. He throws 83 to 86, and he doesn't have a plus secondary pitch. It's all guts and feel yeah. and touch. I really respect Scott Silverstein. I mean, came back from significant yeah. shoulder surgery. Not trying to bang on him, but well, I remember seeing him and thinking, how on earth is this guy getting anybody out? You know, it's, uh, and he got people out, more power to him. I think that I think, he's been figured out a little bit. Yeah, and I think Shane Halley is really, 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 really key to Virginia's whole postseason run. I think uh, that's a guy that is was out with, uh, I think it was a lat thing. I don't think it was a really serious thing, but um, he didn't pitch in the ACC tournament. Uh, he, they need him to come back because I think he's the guy that would need to start a, a third game for them. I agree. I think we uh, talked about this before, it feels like, but we're both picking Oklahoma, right? Yes, we are. Both picking Oklahoma. On to the Columbia Regional, the Palmetto Apocalypse, number one seed, South Carolina, the number eight national seed, and not not incidentally, the two-time defending national champion. Uh, second seed, Clemson. Third seed, Coastal Carolina and submarine savant Ryan Connolly. And the fourth seed, Manhattan, the Jaspers. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Cody, uh, I can't remember his name. Who was the, who was the ace? Chris Cody. Chris Cody is not walking through that door for Manhattan. Who is? Well, you know, this is a this is a well coached program, first of all, and they they seems like every year they uh, they're they're one of the top teams in that league, and this year they were again. They they uh, went eighteen and six in the MAC and uh, didn't, <laughs> lose, didn't lose a game at home. But um, you know, they uh, the the guy for them who's really going to have to carry the load is is, is Taylor Suet, their their number one starter, went eleven and one. Um, you know, just a really uh, really nice competitive ace that I think can you know. Gives them at least a chance to to compete with South Carolina. I mean, um, you know, it's uh, he's he's a senior. He's been through it. Um, he doesn't. Ha- it's funny. He didn't have a huge track record of success before this year. I mean, this is really his his breakout season. But he's emerged, I think, as their guy. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think I think Manhattan probably is uh, again one of the teams that uh, um, doesn't have a whole lot of a chance in this regional. I mean, uh, the way I see it. But um, you know, they. Uh, they grind you a little bit. I mean, I think they, they battle hard, uh, so they'll fit right in in, in Ray Tanner Regional. They battle. <laughs> they, but they have, I mean, like, I think you nailed They were 4-17 and 17 at one point in the non-conference. They yeah. played three or four games at West Virginia. They won one. Uh, they got swept at high point. Probably didn't like the dugouts. Uh, <laughs> got swept in four games at Maryland. I like those dugouts uh, at high point. They're cute, but they don't look particularly uh, utilitarian. Uh, Florida Atlantic, they did steal a game at Florida Atlantic to start the year, and they got swept at TCU. They've played good teams. They really haven't beaten good teams. Uh, So it it would be an upset if they won a game, but going from 4-17 and to 33-20, and whatever, and 25, and making the postseason, uh, kudos to the Jaspers. Is anybody going to challenge South Carolina in this regional? Can Clemson or Coastal Carolina win this regional? Or is this going to be kind of almost cathartic for South Carolina fans just to – not cathartic, but uh, is it going to be the gleeful celebration I think Gamecock fans think it's going to be? Um, it's you know it's hard to say. I, you know I, I think I think South Carolina is the team to beat in this regional. I mean obviously they're the team to beat in college baseball. They're the two-time defending national champions. Um, 
to be I the man, you got to beat the man. No one's beaten right. the man yet. And, and South Carolina has certainly had Clemson's number here for quite a while now. If uh, you know, they've they've been um, they've just had the better hand, upper hand in that rivalry lately. And uh, right now, you know, I mean, I think you get, again, if you're South Carolina, you probably throw. Um, I guess you throw Colby Holmes in the first game against Manhattan. I don't know. I hadn't really thought this through. And then you can throw, you can start Jordan Montgomery. I know he's backed up lately, but uh, I mean, good. you should be able to to beat Manhattan if you're South Carolina with your midweek starter. Right. I think you know, I, know I, I know the health of Forrest Kumis is up in the air. His availability is up in the air. They should be able to win this regional without him. It feels like. I think that's true. Yeah, and so I mean, you know, if you've got Roth, regardless, you'll have Roth going in the second game. Um, and, uh, you know, I like – Michael Roth has certainly shown that he can beat Clemson. That's one thing we know he can do. That's right. That's <laughs> um, but, you know, Coastal Carolina to me is a little bit of an X factor here because I just think with, with those two submariners, and that's how they won their, their conference tournament is Ryan Conley and Aaron Burke. I mean, they have two submariners that both went in there and, and earned the win and relief in all four of those games. You know? Aaron so, Burke. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> just sounds I'm, like Aaron Burke. Sounds like you just say Aaron Burke's name as, as if your mouth is full of peanut butter. I'll consider that okay. next time. Make it so. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, but I don't think this is a, this is Coastal's best team. I don't think they um, their lineup compares with those other teams with South Carolina and Clemson's lineup. Um, you know, I, I think Clemson is is a factor here. I mean, I you know, I think you you probably uh, have already written them off. I know you're not a Clemson guy. You don't really believe in this team. Is that fair to say? It's fair to say I don't believe in the pants and I don't believe in this team. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the Clemson cut pants. Let's put it that. I, I'm a fan of how Clemson and Vanderbilt are fans of the Clemson Cup pants. I respect that they like the Clemson Cup pants, and I respect Kevin O'Sullivan even more for not bringing the Clemson Cup pants with the Gators. I think that took some that, that, that took some guts to really step out from the Clemson mold and not use those Clemson Cup pants. But it's been a while since we've had a Clemson Cut pants discussion here in the podcast. <laughs> I'm glad you uh, glad you brought that up. You're welcome. But I guess the uh-huh. thing is to me is that you know Clemson has not, no one has come through. They have lots of players who are pretty good, but no one's come through to give Richie Schaefer that compliment in the lineup. He's been walked 58 times, Aaron, mm. and uh, you know that should be. They, they, I feel like they should be a more offensive team than they are, and uh, that's my concern. Is I didn't expect them to be this great pitching team this year because they seem like they're they run out a parade of five ten to six one right-handed pitchers who are 88 at 91 with a decent breaking ball. They do a nice job teaching the cutter, but you know, outside of Steve Wilkinson, who's kind of been a a good contributor, and they steal some bases. They they just don't do much for me offensively. I, I thought we'd have a bigger year out of Spencer Keyboom. I thought we'd have a bigger year out of Phil Pohl. It just really kind of hasn't happened. They're just they're just a bunch of decent players, and they're just yeah. not a difference maker after Richie Schaefer on the mound or in the lineup. I just don't think he's enough by himself. But I think there are a number of teams. That you look at them, you know, and, and in this in this in this field of 64, they're really good teams. That you you can say the same thing. They just look like a bunch of decent players. I mean, that's uh, that's my same read when it comes to Oregon or, or Cal State Fullerton. Well, see, you know? like I think I think North Carolina State and Clemson are pretty similar teams, um, but Carolina NC State has Rodon and Turner, yeah, and Clemson has Schaefer. You know, Schaefer's not as he might be a little bit better player than Turner right now, but he's not as dynamic. Right. And they haven't have anyone close to Rodon, just to comparing them in their own league. They're not too dissimilar from Florida State. I would say Florida State's infield defense is better, and they have Ramsey, and they have Ben Casa in the bullpen as a separator. Just comparing them in their own league, 
So really, they just don't have – every other team, that, these teams at the top of the ACC had two or three stars. You know, North Carolina is kind of similar to Clemson, but they have Emmanuel, they have Morin, and they have Moran. That's, you know, they have yeah. three. Um, I would say that they have, they have three stars, like a good hockey game. I'd say they're the best team out of these teams we're talking about. But Clemson has Schaefer, and then there's no other real separator for them. So, I, right. you know, for, again, uh, South Carolina has several. Roth, Price, now that he's back in the bullpen. Walker. I w- you could even put Marzilli in that. In that. Sure. Because the other thing for, to me for South Carolina, both Coastal Carolina, which is more aggressive and has a long history under Gary Gilmore of stealing a ton of bases, and Clemson, which has no one guy, but they don't have four or five guys who run pretty efficiently, even Schaefer, who steal a lot of bases, 10, 11 bases, and steal efficiently. Uh, it's going to be tough for either of those teams to run on Grayson Griner. He had the yips right. early uh, where he had a hard time getting the ball back to the pitcher. He's really become very effective at shutting down opposing running games. It seems like Jerry Myers and his pitching staff do a great job of that at South Carolina. They just don't seem like they have an obvious flaw uh, other than their infield defense, I think, can be a little iffy, Aaron. Yeah, and, and Griner's thrown out uh, 44% of, of base stealers, um, you know, which just shows you. And this guy's got arm strength. I saw him. I watched one of those games on TV last weekend in and, and Hoover and saw him gun somebody down, and uh, it was just a rifle. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good player, you know, and they, they knew he was going to be, and, and he has delivered on that. He's also got some power in there and, and a knack for some clutch hits. I mean, he hasn't hit for much average this year, but uh, um, you know, so you look at South Carolina's stats, and it's Offensively, it's not very impressive. I mean, they're hitting uh, 271 as a team. I mean, um, but uh, you know, they're they're the Gamecocks. You know, they have that swagger. They they, they really do. They battle, um, and uh, you know, and and I just think that they have they have the mystique. I don't know. I just I believe in this team, this program, this coaching staff, and and and, and the veterans who've won two national championships, Walker and Marzilli and Roth and Price especially. I think we're both picking the Gamecocks. Yes. Gamecocks Sooners. I'm picking the Gamecocks in that super regional matchup. Yeah, I can't pick. I can't pick against the Gamecocks until uh, until further until later. We'll, we'll see if I pick against them later. <laughs> uh, we will see. Uh, Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Uh, on to regional number five, the Eugene Regional, which is really uh, a neat thing to say uh, that we have a regional in Eugene, Oregon. When for most of our two tenures at Baseball America. There was no baseball, college baseball in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, but this how is about, the Georgia. Uh, this, go ahead. How about a, how about regionals in Eugene and Gary uh, matched up with each other? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is awesome. I think that's a Dave Kylitz. Uh, Dave Kylitz wakes up with a smile on his face when he dreams about that. There's no fly in that ointment, Aaron. And that's uh, <laughs> Oregon. So you get the Augie, sons of Augie. Uh, regional in Eugene, Oregon, the one seed, Fullerton, the two, Indiana State, the three, Austin P the four. Uh, I know that all the storylines here have to do with Oregon and Fullerton. Obviously, we'll talk about those teams. What can you tell us? What are the chances of an Austin P or an Indiana State emerging out of this regional? Slim, none, next to none? What do you, what do you have? No, I think it's possible. I, this, this regional to me is fascinating. I think it's one of the more wide open regionals, um, because you know I think Austin P is actually a, a dangerous four seed. You know this team, uh, they were in a regional last year. I think they were in the regional championship last year. They were. Recall. That's right uh, against Mississippi State in Atlanta. Great call. Right, exactly. And so and they've got a bunch of those veterans are back from that team. You know the I really like the uh, the Greg Bachmans and Jordan Hankinses and you know, Reed Harper at shortstop. The, uh, 
an exciting player. They've got some speed in the outfield with Cody Hudson, Michael Blanchard. Um, you know, it's a bunch of uh, experienced guys in the lineup. Um, and then on the mound, you've got a, a nice ace in, in Zach Tony. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know that I trust the rest of the pitching staff. But, uh, you know, they've got a couple of junior college guys who've done a nice job in that rotation. Um, but, you know, I, I like the fact that they've got uh, um, a bullpen anchor they can really trust. And he's a submariner, John. He's a really low-slot guy, Ty- Tyler Rogers. I wrote him up last um, year in the draft, I'm pretty sure. I, I like that guy. You're all over him. So, I mean, um, I think he, uh, I think that they have a chance to win that first game with Tony and, and Rogers. Um, I don't know that they have the pitching to, to come out of this regional. I mean, they're, this is a, I do think they have maybe the best offensive team in this regional, believe it or not. But, I believe but, it. But, uh, you know, they're, they're a home run hitting team. They've got 60, which is, I think, among the national leaders. And uh, this ballpark doesn't play to their strengths. That's the issue for me is I just don't think they've seen Pac-10 pitching. OVC yeah. pitching and Pac-12 pitching, a little bit different animals. Indiana State, meanwhile, Aaron, this is a team that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they were the regular season champions in the Missouri Valley, were they not? They were by by a half game over Missouri State, and uh, you know, and I think they're a they're a nice balanced team. I mean, kind of like Fullerton and Oregon. They they um, they've got some grinders. I think they've got one of the, the better offensive players, with better all around players in this whole regional with Jeremy Lucas, the catcher, uh, who's their leading hitter and also is their leading home run hitter and does a good job behind the plate. Just a uh, just a, a really good player and, and a difference maker. We were talking about that before with those yep. other regionals. This guy's a difference maker. And so is Dakota Bacchus, you know, their number one starter. Um, you know, he's, he's got uh, better stuff than the other st- number one starters in this regional. I mean, he'll, he'll get up there 92-93, which you won't see from certainly Alice Cadell or Dylan Floro. Um, so, so, you know, and then he competes and throws strikes and really, uh, really gives them a chance to, I think, upset Fullerton in that first game. I'm... Um, I'm just going to admit I'm, I'm a real big Rick Heller fan, coach at Indiana yeah. State. I thought he did a really nice job at Northern Iowa. That program got taken, you know, eliminated, that kind of rug pulled out from under him. The timing ended up being fortuitous for him that Lindsey Meggs did a nice job building a, a, a foundation at Indiana State. Um, then he went to UW, and Heller got the job at Indiana State, kind of built on what was there, has taken that ne- next step. They're, they're a really, really neat story. That seems like a dangerous team, Aaron. Um, and to me, the thing is that's dangerous is that Oregon and Fullerton, they beat teams by executing, not by out-athleting them. Right. Those two teams, as you pointed out last week, are just so similar. Uh, I don't even know if you could have a favorite because Fullerton, I-, I think if you wanted to go somewhere, if you're Fullerton, if you had to go on the road, you wanted to go to a park that played big where home runs and power weren't a factor. Because that's right. not a J.D. Davis. They don't have any power. It's it's all dink, dunk, uh, bunts, hit and run, pushing it, and playing West Coast ball, isn't it? Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and you know, it's uh, it's going to be so fun if they do get to play Fullerton, you know, just to see those two teams um, engage in a chess match, you know, Horton and, and I, if I were If I were ESPN, I would pay Augie a lot of money to go be the color analyst of that game I guess they hired Dave Serrano to be a studio yeah. analyst. There you go. Yeah. And it sends Coach Serrano out to Eugene to watch the players he recruited and also the coaches that he used to work for and with uh, play against each other. That would just be – the insight that you would get there uh, would be pretty awesome if you could uh, give Dave some truth serum so that he would make sure that he didn't hold anything back, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Maybe you yeah. wouldn't want to describe what a team is doing because your Tennessee team would be doing it. So uh, 
I would love to get inside the heads of those coaches and hear, and really watch the game uh, with a guy who used to coach Fullerton and knows what those guys are all about and really just get the cat and mouse, you know, the X right. and O's. They usually don't talk about in baseball. And And the thing that gives me a little bit of concern with both of these teams is that I don't know how much I trust the pitching after their number one guys. You know, I mean, we've talked before about how freshman pitchers often hit the wall, and, and Fullerton's got two in a rotation behind Floro with Graham Wiest and, and Kenny Matthews. And I think Matthews pitched really well last week against Long Beach, uh, and Wiest didn't pitch as well. But uh, and Oregon also has, uh, you know, a freshman in, is this number two guy in Jake Reed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and Oregon's number three spot has been an issue for them all year long. Um, so, you know, the, the, the key for me is I think I, I trust Oregon's bullpen a little bit more. I think, I think uh, with, with Tommy Thorpe and Jimmy Scherfe back there in particular, those two guys, I think those are the two guys they rely on in that bullpen. And I think both those guys are pretty trustworthy. They can, they can shorten games a little bit. I'm just, I'm just stunned looking at Fullerton's stats and just seeing how few guys they walk all year. What amazing yeah. – who, who's their pitching coach this year? It's Kirk Sarlos. He's done a really good job. Holy cow. Kirk Sarlos, are you kidding me? How did I not know that? That's just awesome. I think I'm actually following Kirk on Twitter, so I don't know how I whiffed on that, but what an amazing job. They have 100 walks and 480 innings. That's just uh, – with amateur pitchers, I don't care how hard or how not hard they throw, that's pretty impressive. And, and, if, uh, you, and if you compare that with Oregon, it has 218 walks and 531 innings. You've got more than twice as many walks. Uh, that could be a real difference maker. It could be. And also the Oregon offense seems like they kind of are predicated on taking a dose, the walk, bunting. I know they're a little bit more aggressive offensively than maybe they've been in past years, but something's going to have to give there, Aaron. I picked Oregon to win this regional. Now you've almost talked me into the tr- the, the Titans. I think I'm, I think I'm switching my pick and picking the Titans. <laughs> you yeah, the, you I, the uh, gun. This is the this is one of the regionals that I've got a bunch of crossouts on my on my sheet here. I, I think I've flip flopped on this one about eight times because at one point I even I even thought about taking Indiana State because I think Indiana State's pitching um, depth is is the, is an asset in this regional in addition to the other things we talked about. But um, but you know I I think uh, I think I like the Titans too. I mean it's uh, for the reasons we talked about. I mean I just think the fact that you're right. The fact that they throw strikes, that's the key of their whole, their whole deal this year is they really pound the strike zone. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be hard for, for Oregon necessarily to manufacture offense against a team like that because Oregon uh, – Fullerton does play good in field defense. Uh, they're fielding 975. And, uh, you know, Oregon's doing even better. They're fielding 980. So yeah, I mean, unbelievable. Neither of these teams are going to give you anything. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's, this, is a, this is a coin toss for me. All right, forget it. I'm going back to the Ducks. You can have the Titans. I'll go. We need to have some different picks here. I'm going to pick the Ducks because I am a Ryan Healy is on that personal cheese ball list as well. So gotta I guess stick, I, gotta stick with Ryan Healy. You know what? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the the team I've got written down here on my on my sheet officially is Oregon. That's what I, I have, have written down. <laughs> and I have I have right now. Next to him, I have bullpen written down. I just I think that the I think that Thorpe and and, and Scherfe group is is nice. But you know I I, I uh, I'm going to jump back to up this one. All right, let's come back to this one. I think we've explained to you that regional number five, the Eugene Regional, is up in the air. Up in the air. It's up in the air. Um, let's go to the Gary Regional. Another phrase we never thought we'd say: the Gary Indiana Regional, home of the Railcats. Not the home of Purdue. It's the home of the Purdue Boilermakers. 
Purdue the one seed, Kentucky the two seed, Kent State the three seed, Valpo the four seed. We can stop making jokes about the Cubs and Purdue being joined at the hip. We have to take down our Purdue media guy from the mid-'80s that has the <laughs> Boilermaker with a giant head running down to first base and then that. taped up next to it the doppelganger of the Purdue Boilermaker, Alan Dykstra. Um, right. We can take that down now. We can retire that. Purdue is for real, Aaron. They've shown it all year. If you're going to be the best team, if you're going to be a, a number one seed of the Big Ten, dominate the Big Ten, they did. Play a challenging non-conference schedule, they did. Win those games. Memo to Michigan State, win those games. Um, yeah. If you're going to go on the road, go on the road right. They went to UCLA and won a game. Almost got swept. The, the Scott Griggs uh, b- blow up there, but they were very competitive in that series. Uh, I thought Purdue earned a number one seed. They certainly earned being a regional host. They're a great story in college baseball. They got a tough regional, Aaron, with Kentucky as a two seed. Arguably could have been a one, should have been a one. I would say more like could have been. I think it's very close between Miami, Kentucky, Mississippi State. We talked about that on Monday. I don't think it's close at all. I don't think Miami has any business being in that conversation, but we've discussed that already. (laughs) You're You're probably right about that. I think they're in the conversation, but I think that they're third in that conversation. But Kent yeah. State, very dangerous team, Aaron. Uh, let's, first off, let's get a shout-out to Valpo. They haven't been to regionals since the late 1960s. Tracy Woodson, who went to NC State, now they, uh, went to the big, played in the big leagues, now the head coach of Valpo. Pretty nice feather in your cap if you're Tracy Woodson for two years in a row, uh, second or third-round pick, whatever Kyle Goodell was last year, and now this year you get to regionals. Uh, this is a program that's trending up. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, you know, I had a chance last year when they came out to the West Coast to see those guys. And, you know, I like the I like the uh, I like the way they played. You know, they just uh, you could tell that, uh, you know, he's gotten them, um, you know, to, to buy into what he's trying to do out there. And, you know, they uh, um, I think they've got a nice offense. I think they uh, they've got some balance in that offense. One through nine. I think they can execute and, you know, put the bat on the ball and they can run a little bit um, on the mound. Uh, you know, you're looking at the. Uh, so, you know, it's a solid three-man rotation. I mean, three guys: Kevin Wild and, and Tyler Deegan and, uh, and and Kyle Warmington. Um, you know, who, who've had really solid years for them. I mean, this team—they've got some arms. I mean, they're gonna—they're gonna compete in this regional. But um, you know, at the same time, you, you certainly—they've got their work cut out for them because this is a <laughs> boy. This is a tough regional. I mean, these are, these are three really good teams in addition to Valpo. Aaron, I'm I'm gonna give something away right now. I picked Kent State to win this regional. And yeah. I like Purdue and I like Kentucky, but I picked Kent State. Uh, I, I'll tell you why in a minute, but you tell people a little bit. You know a little bit more about this team. I'm basically picking them for their pitching and for the, the you know the fact that they've they've been battle tested. They were good in the regional, was it last year or the year before in down in Austin? It was last year, yeah. And they've been these seniors. This is their fourth straight regional, you know. So you, this you made a is... great case about that in a in a uh, uh, three strikes one Monday. About how successful this was at their senior class, right? Had been That's right. at yeah. Kent State, and it, it's pretty epic how good this class has been. Absolutely, it has been, and and you know I think the fact they've got kind of like you know like a poor man's version of Florida, if you want. I mean, uh, they've got a key guys at skill position players. David Lyon behind the plate, um, who's one of their best players. I mean, does a great job handling that pitch. Staff, he's got some power. I mean, he's you know if you want to call him the poor man's Mike Zanino, you can. Sure. Um, and then and then Jimmy Ryder. I mean, he's a guy that, that Scott Strickland compares to. He might have used the phrase poor man's Nolan Fontana. He did. I mean, he's, he did. 
he's uh, he's that kind of player. He's really steady defender and undersized, but just uh, just does a lot of good things for you. And and, and you know this team uh, um, has the the key, of course, is they've got a, a number one guy in David Starn, a left-hander that I think can beat Kentucky. And um, I think he will beat Kentucky. I think David Starn is going to go in there and, and win that opener, uh, which is why I'm taking Purdue to win the regional because I think um, you know Purdue. First of all, if they if they have to play Kentucky. I think they match up well with them because they've they've got a you know most of their key guys are right-handed hitters I and mean, they have some lefties in there too but um, you know Kentucky's key arms are, are lefties so and 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 I think that uh, um, you know with Kentucky out of the way um, if Purdue wins that opener I I think I think they'll be in good shape I wonder what they're going to do with their pitching you know if they're going to start Connor Podcole in the first game or um, or just go with a Hayes or a Breedlove. Um, but if they can save Hayes and Breedlove for the next couple of games, then I think it sets up well for them. I agree. I, I think, uh, I, I, to me, the reason I picked Kent State is that I do believe in Purdue. I think they're quite good. Um, there's not a lot of real weaknesses other than they don't have a power arms at the front of that rotation. Um, but to me, I did think that Starn could beat Kentucky. I thought that uh, you know Scott Strickland's the, the team is defensive oriented. They're a very good defensive team. Well, very good. They're a good defensive team. But looks like on paper they have enough pitching depth. Reading what you've written about them all year, so they have enough pitching depth uh, and just enough offense. Uh, just just for uh, comparison's sake, you talked about Jimmy Ryder. You know, Mike Zanino led the SEC with 23 doubles, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Ryder's got. Tw- no, I guess no, he has 27 doubles. He's second in the country. Zanino's tied for second in the country with 27 doubles. He led the SEC in league play with 13. Those are all the numbers in my head. Jimmy Ryder's right behind him with 26. Yeah. I mean, they have – it just feels like Kent State's a deep – I like the senior-laden thing. I like that. They've got a lot of guys with their man strength. I wanted to pick an upset somewhere. I wanted to pick Purdue going in. I would love to see Purdue – uh, I'd love to see a Big Ten team get to Omaha. Uh, I think it'd be good for college baseball. Uh, but I wound up picking Kent State, but you're picking Purdue. And then we still got to decide. Put, I'm putting you on the line right now. Oregon. Who am I writing on the line there, Aaron? Oregon or Cal State Fullerton? I am writing Oregon on my line. All right, I'm taking Cal State Fullerton. All right. So then you're looking at a Cal State Fullerton versus Purdue uh, Super Regional. I presume that would be in Gary or somewhere thereabouts, right? It could go either way, I think. I mean, I think both those teams. Well, I guess it would be Gary because they hosted. Um, yeah, guess and they're that makes one. Sense. They're I mean, one seed, so yeah. You gotta wonder. Uh, might be something to check on is that per- see if Purdue has <laughs> plans to host a super. If uh, if they can even host a super regional, um, I would have Kent State at Oregon. So in that case, I'm picking Oregon to get to Omaha. Who are you picking? The Titans or the Boilers? This is the year, John. I'm gonna take the Boilermakers. Wow. Upset City. I don't even like Jim Delaney, but I would like for that to happen for the Big Ten. I think it would be good for college baseball if the Big Ten cared about college baseball. And I think the league is trying to care, but as usual, they're trying to care in their own way. It's a very yeah. a Big Ten kind of thing to do. we got to speed up the pace here. Aaron. What a shock. We're taking too long talking about college baseball on right. the Baseball America podcast. We're at the 57-minute mark of this phone call, and let's go right to the Houston Regional Rice, Arkansas, Sam Houston, Prairie View. Prairie View A&M, TFCO, Aaron, thanks for coming out. It doesn't seem like – Yeah. It doesn't feel like Prairie View has a shot to win a game in this region. I, I don't think so. I just think they're, they're going to be overmatched. I mean, these are um, – you know, 
is just the competition is too strong. I mean, I think Prairie View, um, as usual, you know, the one thing that they've got really going for them, I think, is is they can um, they can beat you with the speed a little bit, but they're not even one of the one of the real speediest teams in, in the, coming out of the SWAC. I mean, it's not like a uh, you know Jackson State that really can drive you mad with the speed. So, um, you know, I think I think Rice. Wins that game. Um, I don't know who they throw in the opener. I mean, maybe maybe an Andrew Benock. Um, but uh, you know, you've got Reckling probably for game two against Arkansas or Sam Houston. Um, and you know, I just think it again having a manageable number four seed probably sets it up pretty well for Rice. Um, so I, I like the Owls in this thing. I mean, I think it's very, very compelling. Um, because I think Arkansas also has very, very similar pitching. The one thing, one thing I'm a little bit worried with Arkansas was I feel like Ryan Stanek was a little banged up down the stretch and wasn't as dominant, certainly, as he was earlier in the year. Um, so they're going to start Baxendale in their opener against Sam Houston State. Uh, Bearcats could win that game. I mean, Bearcats have beaten some teams this year. You know, they've got some quality wins. They've got, they've got some three quality guys in the rotation that they like. Um, but... Uh, you know, in a good bullpen and in and a, and a solid lineup. I mean, they're just a solid team. But Arkansas still strikes me as a team that I could see getting to Omaha. I could see them winning this regional. I could see them winning a super regional because I, I still like their talent. I like their pitching depth. Um, you know, I think both Rice and Arkansas have really good bullpens. I think Rice has one of the very best bullpens out there. I think it compares with Florida's and, you know, North Carolina's and some of these other teams we've talked about. Uh, so for me, that's still the difference maker. I'm, I'm taking Rice. I picked Arkansas for a lot of the reasons you just said. Even though Stanek has been down lately, boy, DJ Baxendale got off a terrible start. He may not be drafted too well, but he's pitched quite well the last month, six weeks of the year. Um, I thought getting Baxendale back, uh, the fact that you know, like like you wrote about like a month and a half ago, Arkansas still doesn't have that identity. Um, this is their last shot at that. I just feel like they're too talented. Uh, I feel like they measure up talent-wise with Rice very well. Doesn't feel Aaron to me like either of these teams has really hit on all cylinders this year. Um, is that is that yeah. fair? Is that a fair statement? I mean, I guess so. I mean, Rice, I feel like has had a really nice year, but they haven't uh, offensively. I guess they haven't really hit their their stride completely. So I guess that's that's fair to say. I mean, I you know I think Michael Rattery has come on a little better down the stretch, but he's still hitting just two thirty one. I mean, he's a key player for them going forward in the postseason. They need to get more consistent production out of him, like they got at times down the stretch. Um, but uh, you know this team, their their offensive numbers don't don't frighten anybody. But I do like the fact that I think Christian Stringer and, and Ford Steinbach um, are, are good middle guys that make things happen and uh, you know are kind of spark plugs for them. Um, this team plays very good defense, and and I do like their pitching a lot. I think uh, you know Austin Kibitza has become much more consistent in the second half of the year. Um, the one thing they don't have is a lot of left-handed pitching, but they do have Taylor Wall, who's gotten a lot better against lefties than he used to be. And this was a guy that used to, um, you know, be more effective against right-handed pitchers because he's right. a fastball changeup guy. But he's developed a good little slider. Um, I think that's a key development for them. It's very close. It was a tough call for me. I went ahead and picked the Razorbacks. So you're picking Rice in the last regional bracket on that left side. Baylor, the one seed, of the Waco regional. Baylor, Te- Dallas Baptist, Texas Arlington, and Oral Roberts, um, three faith-based or- uh, institutions, and then Texas Arlington, which is the hot team here, really, Aaron. Uh, Texas Arlington won seven in a row, uh, including winning the uh, Southland Tournament to end the season. You got DBU that won a regional on the road last year, battle-tested. Oral Roberts, which has been going to regionals every year since uh, – I think since uh, since Oral Roberts himself passed away, the founder of the school, <laughs> and they've been going to, to regionals for a long time at Oral Roberts. 
the Baylor still feels like I don't see like like to them Oklahoma is to Baylor as Miami is to North Carolina this year. I, mm-hmm. Oklahoma is Baylor's kryptonite. They have 14 losses all year, and five of them are to Oklahoma, right? Yeah, and, and you know it's funny because Clemson is like that for Florida State. I mean, there's some teams that just have the other other teams' numbers. Yeah, there you go. And, so I don't see Oklahoma in this regional. So while I really have quite a bit of regard for the other three teams, uh, you know, DBU just being consistent, Arlington, what they've done, getting hot, and the talent they have. What's his name? Preston Beck. He's yeah, the best. He's player. the best hitter in this regional, is he not? Yeah, he might be. I think that's a good point. He's he's dangerous. I mean, he's in, in, on the short list with uh, you know Josh Lutier or Max Muncie come to mind for uh, for Baylor. But uh, to me, this is Baylor's regional to win, and it's. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to be a walk. I'd be surprised if they lose a game in this regional. I think I feel the same way. I think they're the most complete team here. Uh, I will say that you got to watch out for the Mavericks, like you mentioned, of, of Texas Arlington. I mean, look at some of these midweek games they've won this year, John. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Baylor they beat. They beat TCU. They beat Texas A&M. I mean, this is, a, this is a team that has played quality competition and done okay. They also lost a couple of games to Dallas Baptist. Um, so there's a, you know, that head to head factor, but, um, this is a, you know, they're, 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 a, like you said, they've got some, you know, they've got that one difference maker with Preston Beck. I think they're, they could cause some trouble for people in this regional, but the other thing is, I think Oral Roberts is a little bit of a trap game, um, because it's Oral a Roberts, it's a trap. Uh, Oral Roberts uh, does have arms. I mean, that's one thing that they've really got going for them. And I remember when I saw them at, at Cal State Fullerton earlier this year. Um, you know, the uh, Rob Walton thought they could be dangerous if they got into a regional with, with Drew Bowen and Alex Gonzalez and Kurt Giller, especially those three guys have have power stuff. I mean, those guys can bring it. Uh, they've got more power stuff than, than Baylor's going to throw at them. You know, and 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 Oral Roberts has uh, has some power in their lineup too with Jared Clay Huber and. Nice. Uh, and no, Jose Trevino and, and Cam Schiller. I mean, those are three guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. So, um, Oral Roberts is a, is a factor here. I think I think those are all good teams. I think Baylor has been so consistent. It would be shocking to see the Bears just crash and burn in a home regional. Certainly, yeah. it's happened before, <laughs> but it would be shocking to see it happen and, with this team. And I should we should mention Dallas Baptist too, because I know we're trying to pick up the pace. But I mean, this team was in Super Regionals last year, um, you know, and. and They've got a bunch of those guys back. I mean, not a, not a, a lot. They lost a lot of their key guys, but they do have, you know, Austin Elkins and you know, Landon Anderson and these guys. Uh, um, Ryan Bamanish kind of hurt them when he was out for a little while this season, but I think he's back now and and uh, he's been their best hitter really when he's been healthy. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, they've got some arms there. I mean, it's it's not big arms, but they're they're guys that know how to win and compete. Um, they're they're you know, again, the fact that they won a regional last year means you got to take them seriously. I, I agree. Um, so, but we're both picking Baylor, correct? Yes. So I have Baylor hosting Arkansas in a super. You have Baylor hosting Rice. Where's your pick there in this uh, super regional matchup? John, I like the Owls. Um, I just think they have superior arms, and uh, I think they are good enough to to shut down Baylor's offense as good as Baylor's offense is, and, and I think it's it's good. Uh, very good. Uh, I think Rice can can shut them down and and manufacture enough runs against the you know the Charlies and the Blanks. I would have Baylor against Arkansas. I would be picking the Bears. I guess I'm going chalk on the bracket for me here, and I have Baylor, Oregon, South CAC, and Florida in Omaha. Mm. You have Rice, Purdue, South Carolina, and Florida. Correct. That's right. Who do you have winning that side of the bracket? The Gators. The Gators. I uh, I'm sticking with my preseason pick. Bring on the hate mail, South Carolina fans. 
<laughs> I wouldn't say that if I were you. <laughs> no, don't bring it on, please. Seriously, I have all kinds of respect for the Gamecocks. Please, I don't need to hear from you. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm picking the Gators as well on that side of the bracket. I would actually rank it Florida, South Carolina, Baylor, Oregon. Uh, if I'm ranking my side of the bracket, I'm thinking you would go Florida, South Carolina, Rice, Purdue. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's where I'm. That, that's where we have to leave this podcast. We're going to have to do a second part of the podcast, Aaron, because uh, we just have too much fun talking about it, and you've got a chat to do and all kinds of things. So we're, we're just going to leave. Of, we're not capable of knocking out an entire 64-team thing in, in, in an hour. It's just not possible. We're physically incapable of doing <laughs> it. I completely agree, and we tried. I, I thought okay. we tried, but uh, great stuff. It's just so much fun talking college baseball. We want to remind people this co- Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coaches Tim Corbett and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC win every practice. Aaron, have you decided which regional you're going to, Los Angeles or Eugene? I'm going to Los Angeles, staying local this week, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how it goes as far as a super regional plan. I like that plan. I will be bouncing back and forth between Raleigh and Chapel Hill. We'll have interns and Jim Schonard covering every game at those regionals. You'll be in Westwood. We'll have uh, Michael LaMare, esteemed alumnus of our intern program, uh, on the farm at Stanford. I like using all these stupid nicknames of these colleges, uh, half of their campuses. Uh, (laughs) Should be a lot of fun, and we'll come back on the next Baseball America College podcast, breaking down the right side of the bracket, and later this week, Draft uh, a draft podcast. Myself, Nathan Rohde, Connor Glassy, and Jim Callis will make picks that we think the team should do in the first round of the 2012 draft. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. <laughs>